Hi, I'm Michael Cashew. And I'm Adi Cashew, and you're listening to The WAG Podcast. This podcast is about health, wellness, and personal development. Each episode is a short conversation between Adi and I on a single topic with actionable steps. We cover everything from food, mindset, fitness, and relationships. We started WAG because of the way health and fitness changed our lives, so we hope to share a tool or two that helps you along your way. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Stoked to, stoked that we could do this finally. Today, I want to talk all about your experience as a registered dietitian. I want to talk about some of the things that you're expert in. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So first off, I know you have a ton of experience living overseas. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. How did that start? Where have you been? Yeah, tell us about it. Sure. So um, I'll back up. Just a little bit. I'm originally from a very small, tiny farming town in southern Ohio. It's less than 2,000 people. I'm from Ripley, Ohio. It's outside of Cincinnati. So I had never left the country. I had never been to the west coast of the U.S., more or less outside of the country, um, before I met my husband, and who is an Army officer, U.S. Army officer. We started dating, and he dropped a bomb that, oh, by the way, I have orders to go to Belgium. Like, oh, okay, great. How, how far was this into your relationship? Um, we had been dating about six months. Got it. And things were going really well. And at the time, I was 25 at the time. And it's like, okay, geez, all right. We kept dating. And, you know, I was, I love my job. But at the same time, it was like, you know, I'm 25. Why not? Let, let's give this a try and see what happens. So, I followed him. My job at the time was great and said, listen, you can have six months. We'll hold your job for six months. You can go. That was the amount of time that you could go to Europe, um, into the EU without a visa Mm -hmm. and stay. So I took leave for six months and I never came back. So we lived in Brussels for four years. We came back for about nine months and then we went to Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina for two years then Stuttgart, Germany for four years, and now we're back in the States in Pennsylvania. So it's been really fun the past nine years. It definitely has its challenges, but it has been a really cool experience. All three of my kids were born overseas. Um, They're U.S. citizens because my husband was on diplomatic orders, but what a cool experience that they were born overseas, and it's something that certainly being from a little tiny town, you know, that I would have never gotten to experience. So it was really cool. That's amazing. So looking back, what do you think are the biggest, if any, things that you brought back from those places? Like what parts of the culture or cultures? Different from each one. Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina is the biggest. Um, We lived in Sarajevo. And for anyone who, depending on the audience, you know, there's a major war in the early 90s. So depending on your age, whether you were remember that or not, but For those of you guys who are listening, I was pretty young when that happened, but I remember a little bit of it in the news, and Sarajevo is a predominantly Muslim um, city. There are, there's three major religions. There's Judaism, Muslims, and Catholics that all live together now very peacefully, Mm. but 20 years ago they didn't, so that was a huge takeaway for me there, and it's now predominantly Muslim, but just, I came away with a huge understanding of that culture. And just learning that was huge for me. 
you know, again, I came from a really small sheltered town where I was not exposed to that at all. And that wasn't, you know, any shortcoming of my family. It was just where I came from. Mm -hmm. So having that awareness and I've been able to translate that into my coaching as well. We have lots of clients who are Muslim and practice Ramadan. And now I can say, Hey, I lived in that for, for two years. And while I'm not a practicing Muslim, I have lots of friends who did, who, you know, experienced Ramadan. And I know what it's like to, to eat at night and I can help you with this. And here's some tips and tricks that worked for them. And so that was a big thing that came from living there. Um, as far as in Europe, mainland Europe, because Bosnia technically is Europe, but it's a little different. Belgium and Germany, those guys, man, they just have a different way of life, right? You guys have traveled a lot in Europe, so I think you and Adi maybe have a similar takeaway, but their work-life balance is a lot different mm. than we have in the States, and man, I love it. We have, I pride myself on my work ethic. I think I have a great work ethic, but you know, there's something to be said about having that balance and knowing that there's more to life than work, right? Amen. You, you have to have, you have to live a little and you have to know that there is a point in your day when the computer shuts and you live the rest of your life and Europeans do that so well. Mm -hmm. They take vacation, they take time off, they prioritize their wellness, they walk places, they ride their bike, they eat well and that wellness is something that I definitely took back with me and we still here in Pennsylvania I get laughed at but I ride my bike to the grocery store I'm the only person I think in my town who rides my bike wow, to the grocery store that's cool but I but I do it so and just because I, I lived there for nine years and Europe mm -hmm. for nine years and it's it's sort of ingrained and that's something I would love to see and it is in major cities but I would like to see it worked a little more into our culture as well what was the what was the hardest part about coming back I mean, coming back was pretty easy because I was we were really looking forward to it. I would say the hardest part about coming back was a fear of my girls losing their language. We are a bilingual household with my husband speaking German to my girls, and I'm speaking English. My husband's American but grew up predominantly in Germany because my mother-in-law was a civilian who worked for the military. And it was really easy to keep that going in Germany. Mm -hmm. My kids went to German school. That was a big fear that they were going to lose that worldview that I didn't grow up with. And I was so proud and still I'm so proud that we're giving that to them. Um, and that was a fear that we were losing that. That's been eased a little because I think we're keeping it going. It was hard to come back to losing some of that. What I was just talking about, surrounded by people who like to walk places and ride their bike and you know, public transportation is everywhere. I'm in a relatively small city here. There's no public transportation. I need my car to get anywhere for the most part. If it, if the weather is bad, I have to use my car. Yeah. Where in your in Europe, that's not the case. You know, I can get anywhere on foot. So that that was a a transition. But otherwise, I mean, North America's great. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Am it is. Amazon Prime. I can get anything. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Europeans seem to have almost the opposite worldview of us. Like we're, we tend to optimize our lives for how much money we can make and, and our uh, productivity at work. And so I think rather than them thinking you have to live a little, it's like you have to work a little. They're living a lot and they, they think, well, you got to at least work a little bit, which I find yeah. really, really beautiful. I've had that same exact experience over there. 
yeah, I think that, you know, and it's beautiful. I love it. It's for them. It's, I feel like they work to fund their travels, mm. you know, and, and they work because they need to buy their house. Mm. And otherwise it's, you know, their identity is not wrapped up in their profession and what mm-hmm. they do for a job. And oftentimes I find that's the case with a lot of my friends at least. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's our culture and that's not something that's going to change in a generation, but mm-hmm. gosh, I would, I would love to see that start to shift. Yeah, and we can certainly yeah. shift it within our own lives, right? That mm-hmm. that trip that Adi and I took last year, it definitely caused me to slow down a lot in a lot of different ways. So I think that I think we we can start to make those changes in our lives immediately. Absolutely. So moving on, uh, you've been in RD for about fifteen years now. How did you get into nutrition in the first place? Yes. Oh, that makes me sound so old. Um, so haphazardly a little, I think that's, seems how most people fall into things that they love. It sort of accidentally happens. I went to college as an undecided science major, you know, as an 18 year old kid, had no idea what I wanted to do. Like most kids, undecided science major took a nutrition class because my sorority sister was taking a nutrition class. Um, and it fell into, I needed it for my science major. Really liked the professor at the time, I had always been a chubby kid, played sports because I went to a small school and that's what you did. I wasn't particularly a great athlete. I was okay, but played sports because there wasn't much else to do, really, and all my friends played sports. So I was always interested in athletics and thought, well, maybe I could do kinesiology or something like that. So nutrition sort of falls into that category. Took a nutrition class, loved the professor, thought, I'll take another one, see what this dietetics thing is about. Fell in love with it again, applied for the program, and then just rolled with it and went with it from there and ended up getting an undergrad degree in nutrition and dietetics and then at Marshall University in West Virginia and then went on and did my graduate program there as well and completed my dietetic internship, which is the basically apprenticeship that you need to do to set for your board exam to become a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. I did that through that university as well. So you became a registered dietitian, and at some mm-hmm. point you found WAG. Can you tell us about mm-hmm. your journey uh, going through that? Yes. So I, when I first started working as a registered dietitian, I did a few different jobs. Um, I initially, when I became an RD, thought I wanted to work with kids. That's really difficult, and it just wasn't for me. I did it for a year and it just wasn't for me. Why so? Why was it so difficult? It, it's emotional. It's hard. It's really challenging. I started working, um, I think it was mostly challenging because I I was seeing a lot of sad cases. I was seeing, unfortunately, a lot of child abuse cases and a lot of malnourished kids. And I think when I went into it, I was so naive and was thinking, oh, I'm just going to see kids like me who are a little chubby and just need some exercise and some vegetables. You know, I was just a go get them kid who was just out of school. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have this worldview of maybe what I was actually getting into, which were a lot of really sad things that were happening in kids' homes. And it just wasn't for me. So once I left that job, I actually fell into working for a bariatric surgery practice that I worked for for quite a long time and loved it and fell into weight loss, mostly because of 
I love the impact I can make on people's lives. And so bariatric again, means severely overweight, correct? Yep. Okay. So folks who are having weight loss surgery, most of our patients ended up having surgery, gastric bypass or gastric sleeve. And these are folks who are morbidly obese. And we just made a huge impact in their lives. And for me, it comes across as a little selfish, but it's so gratifying. You make a big difference in their lives. And, mm -hmm. and I loved it. Um, so I started working for, for those guys, went overseas. This was the job who gave me the six months off. Went overseas, had some babies, got, ma got married, had some babies, was doing some remote work for them. Um, in between, I was teaching some classes, doing some online support group work that I was able to do when we lived in Belgium and when we lived in Sarajevo. And when I had our third baby, um, I remember I was on Instagram and saw a post from Molly Vollmer, who was a WAG client, mm -hmm. and I thought oh, I need this. I need someone to hold me accountable. Coaches need coaches. And that's something that I think a lot of people, a lot of dietitians or even coaches or people in the nutrition space don't always recognize. I didn't recognize that. And it's hard. sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. They're like, oh, I can't manage this myself. I need an outside source. I had had three babies in four and a half years. And it was taking a toll on my nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I just needed someone, I needed to outsource this. I needed to have someone just say, do this. I'm a good rule follower. If mm -hmm. someone, you know. So at the time, WAG had a wait list. And for me, I was like, oh, I'm on this list. You know, put me on this list. I'm ready. Got on the wait list, became a client, was a client for about a year, had great results, loved it. And I remember I just fired an email off to a D out of the blue and said, hey, I'm a dietitian. I never told my coach at the time that I was an RD because I didn't want her to feel pressure or anything. That was thoughtful um, of you. Yeah, I didn't want her because that's weird, right? I didn't want her to feel any pressure like mm -hmm. that she had to, you know. It was Hillary Irvin at the time was my coach. And gotcha. knowing her, she she wouldn't have cared. But sent an email off to a D and just said, hey, you know, if you're hiring and it just – Man, the stars aligned. I came in at the right time. WAG was growing, and yeah, the rest is history. So that's how that worked out, and here I am. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your experience working with Hillary. What was it? So, you know, I know that you had to set your ego aside and realize that as a coach, it's okay to need, need a coach or want a coach. Um, tell me more of the details about what your experience was like. Yeah, so I never mentioned that I was a dietitian. I never, she never asked, I don't think, what I did for a living. Had she asked, I wouldn't have lied, I don't think. But, but I was to the point where I knew I just needed, like I said, to outsource this part of my life. I was living overseas in a foreign country. I had three kids under five, and I was spent. So I was to the point where I just wanted someone to tell me what to do. If she would have said, eat 4,000 calories a day, I would have done it without questioning her at that point. I, would, I just had full, full faith in her. Mm -hmm. you know. And that's what I think more than anything makes a good client-coach relationship. Not faith without questioning. There needs to be dialogue, but faith. I had faith in the system. I had faith in her. She hadn't steered me wrong yet. She never did in the whole time we were together. So she was open and honest. And I just, from the very beginning, did what she asked. And I saw great progress. I lost, in that year, it took about a year 
I lost 35 pounds. Wow. I didn't her. realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And gained a hell of a lot of strength along the way. Not only lost weight, but my body composition changed dramatically. I had always been a very strong athlete. I'm tall. I'm 5'10". So I don't have the best levers for weightlifting, but I've always been a strong athlete and I became dramatically stronger and lost weight. So I knew there was magic. And as soon as I saw that happening, while I was eating more than I had ever eaten in the past, I knew, okay, something's happening here. And that's mm -hmm. when I, around that time, sent an email to a D. I was like, I need to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening here, but I want this. Like, can you use me? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And then ever since then, I've, now Taylor is my coach. So um, we're working together and I've continued to lean out and gotten stronger and yeah. So cool. It's been great. So, yeah. you, you know, at this point you had already had years of experience as a, as an RD, you were more experienced in nutrition than anyone on staff. And yet it had a really big impact on you so big that you decided to join the team. Was there anything mm -hmm. about the way you viewed nutrition in terms of your relationship with food or the way you thought about how other people should eat or about the way that we pro approach behavior change that you changed your mind on when you joined? Um, I don't know when I joined if there was so much that I changed. Certainly when I started coaching, like once I went through materials and took my own clients on, because so much of my experience had been with a certain subset of people. I had worked with morbidly obese clients. I did not have a ton of experience with athletes. You know, I did not have a ton of experience with people who were looking to improve performance mm -hmm. or folks who were looking to gain muscle. I definitely had a lot to learn in that department and still do. I mean, I think that that's one area where I'm still learning. I feel like my best, we all are, I think most people are excellent coaches with people who they identify the most with. I'm great with other moms, you know? Mm -hmm. G give me a mom in her late 30s, early 40s who crossfits. You're my gal. Like, we can we can do it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But, so I'm still learning in that area. But as far as mindset, I think that WAG does something that I don't see a lot in the other big nutrition space. We're able to dive in and get in that underneath layer that I don't know that everyone else is doing. We're, we're looking at the underlying issues that, that are going to help our clients long term. And that's something that I needed that I wasn't addressing and that I sort of needed a coach to say, hello, do you, do you see what's happening here? It's not that your protein, carbs, and fats, hell, I could have figured that out. Mm -hmm. I needed someone to say, hey, you're not taking care of yourself because you're – taking care of three small kids and you're busy going to six events a week with your husband who's the army attache at the embassy, you know? Mm -hmm. I needed someone to wave a red flag in, in my face and I feel like that's what we do really well. And I don't know that in a clinical practice I was ever doing that for clients. So definitely. Got it. So I want to go a couple of different directions with what you just said. First, let's talk about 
your passion for working with working moms specifically. So you've got three kids of your own. Your husband mm-hmm. is active duty military and he's gone for months at a time at times. Mm-hmm. Right now you're in quarantine with with all of them. Um, yeah. So you're, you know, you're full-time mom, full-time uh, wife, full-time worker. How do you, how do you manage it all yourself first? I mean, it's messy a lot of times. Um, you just do what I, I love working with other moms and I think other caregivers. I think I, I divert to moms just because I'm a mom, but this goes for dads, caregivers, the people of my age, unfortunately, well, maybe not. We're starting to see our parents age. And oftentimes I've seen some of my friends become caregivers of our parents mm-hmm. as well. So I, I use this term caregiver a little bit. When you're a caregiver, you're giving everything to that person and you're doing it for all the right reasons, right? You're, you're giving everything to your kids and, you know, and you're every bit of your heart and soul, you know, you're doing the right thing because you're dedicated to them and you can't, you almost have blinders on and, and I love working with parents because sometimes you can just pull those blinders back and, and realize that, ooh, maybe you don't need to give your everything to your kids. If you can just pull back a little bit and give a little bit more to yourself, you'll realize that then you're able to give more to everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that to click for any type of caregiver, whether it's you know someone who's taking care of an aging parent or a parent, a mom, a dad, or even someone who's a healthcare worker. We're seeing that now with the COVID crisis. Like if you can just get someone to realize that, that you can't just give, 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 give constantly, gosh, that makes such a big difference. And that has been so helpful for me right now in these past two months of being quarantined at home with my family. When you can't just constantly give, you have to have some time to pull back. This happened the other night. It was you know, 8.30, I put my kids to bed and the sink is full of dirty dishes. And I was like, all right, we have a choice here. We can stand here and do these dishes or I can go down in the basement and do my workout. What do we do? And the dishes can wait, but my mental and physical health can't. Like those are choices that that you make. And I think sometimes we think, oh, we have to do this caregiving chores first. They have to come first. These are my duties. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's not... Those dishes aren't harming anyone, right. you know, and just changing those priorities. Yeah. So uh, it seems like what you're saying is one of the, one of the opportunities for caregivers is just to realize that in order to give the best care possible, you also have to take care of yourself. You have to have, you have to spend some of your time on your own self-care. Absolutely. You have to, otherwise you're going to fall apart. Right, you you can't give 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 everything mm-hmm. to everyone without turning it in on yourself. And gosh, I had to learn that. That's something I had to learn, um, and I'm still learning it. I'm not perfect. That happens to me, you know, a lot of times as well. And especially when my husband's gone for a long period of time, you know that that happens. And mm-hmm. when kids are home from school and you're homeschooling, we had I had a few moments here recently where it was. Close to close to a breaking point, but you just have to pause, take a moment, and think. Okay, what do I need? Mm-hmm. What do I need so that I can be better for you? Yeah, yeah. It seems like they need to have that mindset shift, but also realize that there there also seems to be an, another element of it. Like health and fitness are 
when done the right way, they're not really easy things to maintain, right? Exercising can be really uncomfortable. Eating a healthy diet is sometimes not as comfortable as just eating really delicious, um, high, high calorie food. Right. And so I feel like the fact that it's difficult or can be difficult slash challenging mixed with the desire to help, it can almost be used as an excuse not to do the hard thing. Yeah. You follow me? Totally. And I, someone's, I don't know where I heard this line, but I've used it a lot and I've used it and I've said it out loud to myself before. And it was a line that, and I'll paraphrase, and it says, you have to fight for your wins as much as you, you have to fight for your wins more than you fight for your excuses. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes you hear people say, I can't because of this. I can't because of that. Stop. You have to stop putting your energy into your can'ts and your excuses. If you could just take that energy and put it into the things you can do. And this goes on the same level as when we were doing the 21 day challenge with the, when the COVID crisis hit and yeah, we talked about any challenge. Yeah, the WAG Wellness Challenge. When we talked about aiming low, things don't have to be complicated. Fitness fitness can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. If you, if all you can do is go outside and push the stroller around the block for ten minutes, go do it. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you have a full kitted out CrossFit gym in your basement, killer, go for it. But if you don't have those resources, and right now because your gym is closed, all you can do is push the stroller around the block, go do that. And be damn thankful that you can get out there and do that today. Mm-hmm. Like it just aim low. And that's the other thing I've, I've really tried to tell people that because I, I love it. I think it's so important that people realize it doesn't have to be fancy. It could, it's uncomfortable and it's hard sometimes, but it doesn't have to be fancy. Mm-hmm. And I just think, fight, I th- for, fight, fight for what you can do. Yeah, I love it. I think this is one of the most underrated pieces of wisdom on the planet. One pattern that I've noticed in listening or reading things by like like true masters of what they do, people like Pavel Satsulin or Dan John, like people in the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. community that have been in it for 30, 40, 50 years, they produced world champions, they've, they've, they've been doing this for so long. Their advice is super, super simple. It's so simple that most people look right over it because we, mm-hmm. we think that with complexity comes greater performance or, or greater adaptation, and that's just not the case. If we can just pick one simple thing that we can stick to consistently, that's going to have a trickle effect on every single area of our life. It's when we try to do the complex and then it falls apart and we don't stay consistent and then we end up doing nothing or switching from thing to thing that we're kind of shit out of luck. Yep. And that happens. I see that with new clients. A lot of times you're so excited to get going and you want to, you want to do all the things and you want to kill it and you want to do it so well. And it can be so overwhelming. And if we can just dial it back and say, let's just do protein. Mm -hmm. Let's just do fitness. Let's just do steps. Let's just do vegetables, something. Because what is nutrition? Nutrition is a series of, de- of decisions throughout your life. And it's those small decisions that add up over time. And 
nutritional decisions and fitness, but I think also more nutrition, they tend to snowball good and bad. When you start making good ones, those good ones are easier to make. When you start making poor decisions, it's easier to make the poor decisions. So if you can just get rolling with some good nutrition decisions, they become more natural to you. You start to crave those foods. Don't get me wrong, the, the delicious high-calorie junk food is always going to taste good, mm -hmm. but it's going to be a little bit easier to choose the food that's going to be more advantageous for your goals. Mm -hmm. Just keep it simple. That is the biggest thing that I could just, if I could just hold up that sign, just like keep it simple, people. Don't overthink it. That's huge. So let's talk a little bit more about what what you're so passionate about in terms of working with working moms. So uh, one thing we have is there's a there's an essential mindset shift that needs to take place. Another thing that you just expressed was aiming low. Are there any other things that you find super helpful with this population? Yeah, I think there's there's lots of things. I think having having grace for yourself and knowing that you don't have to be perfect. I think whenever you talk about parenting, you have to be a little touchy because everyone has their own way of doing things. And we're certainly not perfect in our house. But what I found with parenting in general is that you have your your big box of core values and what your family does. And inside of that, you do the best you can in the moment, right? Nutrition is sort of the same way. Your macros, I feel like, are your big box of core values. This is what you need to stick with. In the moment, you do the best you can. When you're a working parent, or even just a parent, you know, because you're working, whether you're employed or not, you're working as a parent, you know, things go crazy, and days aren't predictable, and kids are crazy, and things happen, and the dog throws up on the carpet, and a kid is crying, and it's it's insane. So... There are going to be moments where you just have to roll with it, and that's okay. So just give yourself the grace to know, hey, I did the best I could. And what I a lot of times tell clients is if at the end of the night you can tell yourself, I did the best I could today, that's all I want to hear. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your macros look like. If you blew your carbs, fats, and you didn't even come close to your protein, but you could say, like if you could look yourself in the mirror and say, I did the best I could today, what's better than that? you know that's what I want to instill in people is just to know that you did the best you could and with moms particularly I, also, I always try to tell them don't have this social media ideal that you're gonna look like you did pre-pregnancy in six weeks that's the other thing I try to just oh gosh if I could eliminate something from social media that would be it amongst other things but in, in this realm that would be the one thing I would eliminate Gosh, your body's different. It's grown a human. Mm -hmm. It's going to look different. Sometimes it looks better, but it's going to look different. Um, and, and it's going to take that time to kind of yeah, rebound. It takes time. It takes time. There's a human and a whole other organ in there. You know, give it time. Um, be patient and know that you're doing the right thing by, mm -hmm. by managing your nutrition. And, and this is a, a strange phase of, of life, and it's demanding and you're doing the best you can. That's what I just tell so many new parents and fathers too. You guys are about to go through this. You're gonna, you'll learn. <laughs> um, you're sleep deprived and you're cranky and you're tired and gosh, sometimes you just want a burger and french fries and if you can just do the best you can by eating a well-balanced meal, even if it doesn't perfectly hit your macros, hell, that's a win mm -hmm. and that's okay. And you can't judge 
a sometimes you know we were talking to clients about pre-covid time and this time it's the same thing you can't judge pre-child time and post-child time mm-hmm. Mm-mm, those are different those are two different standards you know what you can do when you're a caregiver and what you could do when you were just taking care of yourself are different those are different standards and just know that the effort you're putting in as long as it's the best you have that's it that's all we can ask for and that's enough your body's going to respond Mm, that's phenomenal advice. And I, I, I definitely needed to hear that as well. I feel like I'm preparing myself for this massive change. And yet I know that I can't even comprehend what it's actually going to be like. And I could really, I can definitely see myself cling, like once we have our baby clinging to the way that things were, like the amount of self-care I was able to give myself or the way I was able to eat. It doesn't mean I won't strive for excellence as I always do. And I, th- I know that times will be challenging. I will have less resources, less mental, emotional resources, less time. Um, and I have to be willing to adjust my expectations and be patient with myself. Yeah, like you don't abandon ship, right? You don't give up and be like, well, got a baby now. Right. <laughs> gonna, gonna just give up. That's not it. And that's I know that's not what you meant, but sometimes that's what I hear people say. And that's, again, like giving energy into your excuses that's not it you have people on one extreme who do that and it's finding that balance between okay we can't quite be what we were before not right now you'll get back there your baby's not a newborn forever Mm -hmm. he's gonna sleep at one point i promise he sleeps but we can't hold ourselves maybe we don't have two hours to train every day you know here right after our son is born or or whatever the situation might be so just holding yourself to a new standard and just doing the best you can. That's what I want to tell people, especially new parents and caregivers, that you know you don't have to be perfect. And if you could just love yourself a little more and know that managing your nutrition and being active is the best form of self-care, and by doing that self-care, you're becoming the best caregiver for your child, man, that's golden. That's it. That's the ticket. So one more thing I want to talk to you about is the difference in coaching the super athletic population versus bariatric. What are, what are the similarities and differences in working with these, these two groups? Oh, man. I think there's more similarities probably than differences because we all have our hang-ups, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has. I think I've learned, I learned that. I was super intimidated at first. I had my first games athlete client and I about had a nervous breakdown, you know, because I thought, I don't know what to do, you know, (laughs) freaking out. But we're all pretty similar when it comes to food and what we're nervous about and our performance. But when you have a goal, whether your goal is weight loss or your goal is to make it to the CrossFit Games or your goal is an Olympic athlete, that goal is everything to you. If that goal is to lose five pounds or that goal is to medal at the Olympics, that goal is everything. And it's my job to help you get that goal. It's not my goal to judge how important that goal is or whether that goal is worthy of your time. And I need to treat that goal just as important either way. And that's something I had to to learn. And I've tried my hardest to, to keep my coaching to a standard of if you are someone who wants to lose five pounds, I'm giving you just as much effort and 
attention as the Olympic medalist, right? Your goal is just as important. And I will say that the approach is a little different because if you have a if you're a weight based athlete, we got to be pretty strict with some things. Um, you need to, to do a weigh in. You need if you're a weight lifter, you need to make weight. Or if you're a games athlete, your performance we need to be really strict with nutrient timing, that kind of thing. So that approach is different. Whether and if it's just weight loss, we can move some more ebb and flow. So that approach is different. But I think that it's pretty similar. My approach is pretty similar. And it's just learning what people respond, what style people respond best to. I mean, there's always going to be people who want that hard, do this, do this, black and white coaching. And then there's always clients who prefer a much more soft, hand-holding sort of approach. And you get that across all the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But goals are important no matter what. Mm-hmm. So are there any big differences in the way that you have to coach your bariatric clients versus athletes? Yeah. I mean, for those guys, when I worked pre-WAG with those clients, there was there's a little more medical nutrition therapy involved because that is a medical procedure they're having. So we're monitoring some lab work and doing some things with those guys. It's a little different. And what does Most that mean? Them, what does medical nutrition therapy mean? So medical nutrition therapy is... When you are, that needs to be performed by a registered dietitian in most states. Um, WAG does not do medical nutrition therapy, so we are, that's not what's happening here. But with, in the clinical se setting with a dietitian, we are using nutrition to treat disease or to treat a medical condition. So someone has thyroid issues, we are using nutrition in conjunction with maybe pharmaceuticals or using nutrition to help treat diabetes or hyper or high blood pressure, um, for example. So a lot of these clients who had um, weight loss surgery had some other conditions like type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure. And we were using nutrition in conjunction with this weight loss surgery to help those conditions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the approaches we were taking, we needed to be pretty strict and serious because when you are that heavy, it is a life or death situation where we don't run into that so often with WAG clients. And when, if we have diabetes or hypertension in the WAG realm, I'm not managing that. Even though I have the credential, we're not doing that here. I'm saying, hey, talk to your doctor. That's not, we're not in the space to do that here. So that's different. But as far as the approach with how we tackle things, not so, it's not so, there's not too many differences. It's a lot of just finding the underlying issues of why we're eating when we're not hungry and tuning into some intuitive eating along with tracking our food and learning the differences between those and how we can marry those two systems for lifelong success, not just, you know, while you're on WAG or while you're having surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could see a an argument for like taking someone that's severely overweight and has little to no healthy habits in their life, taking them from that to tracking, weighing and measuring their food being like really abrupt. Do you believe in moving that clientele quickly to tracking? And if so, why? It depends. <laughs> which is such a wishy-washy answer. I've done it a few ways. 
I've had clients with WAG who have worked, who I've worked with, and it's been amazing. They have gone from having little to no experience with nutrition and have hopped right into tracking food and love it. I think if you are of the mindset that you like data and you're into that kind of thing, like if, if that's how your brain works, cool, you're into it. If you don't like data and all of that info kind of freaks you out, it's too much. I don't know. It's not that the diet or the approach itself it's the problem. It's just if your brain is data-driven or not. I Personally, I think that's the, the hang-up. So what I'll do, I have a few clients now. One, that it's working really well. The macros and what I have them do, it's not different. It's just whether they're tracking or not. But it's small things. We do the aim low. Soda, eating out, increasing your steps, eating more vegetables, cutting down on processed foods. We just take one thing at a time. I will ask everyone when they start, if you could just get me some logs for maybe two weeks so I can see what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And then if it stresses you out and it's way too hard, we don't need it. Stop it. Now I can see what you're eating and I've got a good solid two weeks of what's happening. Let's pick and choose a few things to work on. And usually what I'll do is I'll give them, I'll list out maybe five things that I see as potential things that we could work on and I'll let them pick three. Mm -hmm. What are three things you want to start with? Because if someone loves soda and it's been their you know crutch for 20 years, maybe we don't want to start there. Maybe we want to start somewhere that's a little easier. You know, if they've hated vegetables their whole life, maybe we don't want to start there either. I'll let them pick. Then they have feel like they have a little more control over it as well. But it works both ways. It's just kind of what they want to do. Mm -hmm. I always tell them that I'm the GPS, but they're the driver, right? So you kind of, I'm going to give you the direction, but it's up to you to drive the car. Mm -hmm. So. Very cool. Yeah, you're like a yeah. GPS that's, turn, that's turning them into a GPS and driver. Like you're right. giving them their own GPS as well. Yeah. Right on. So before we wrap up, uh, do you have any last piece of advice or wisdom that you'd like to leave with the listeners? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I feel like we've talked about so much. I would say to anyone who's listening, if you're a parent or caregiver and you're thinking about WAG or thinking about taking control of your nutrition um, and you're intimidated by it or you think you don't have time, I can assure you that you do. It's there. You don't. It doesn't have to be fancy or complicated to work. We don't do. I don't do fancy and complicated in my house. I don't have time, you know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be. And I can assure you. I can speak for all of our coaches, and I know that you know Michael and Adi do as well. That that we all come from the same voice. That our program can be anything that you need it to be for you. And if you're a caregiver, know that you just have to be able to give yourself a little bit of love and then you're going to be able to give so much more to the people that you care about and that you're really working so hard to care for. And that's hard to do. It's that whole thing about put your oxygen mask on first before assisting others. Mm -hmm. Just give yourself the time to take care of yourself first and man, it's going to pay you back dividends forever. It really will. That is such a genuine message. Brittany, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you thanks for, for having me. Yeah, where can people learn more about you on social media? 
Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, R-D-N. So you can find me there. You can follow all of our antics of traveling and our our dog and our crazy kids. And yeah, watch our crazy show. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Stay in touch by signing up for our newsletter at workingagainstgravity.com or on Instagram at workingagainstgravity. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and refer a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then.